cutting the umbilical cord plus a critical part of a newborn's life. If you don't cut the cord, the baby could die. Even the mother's life could be endangered. But if you cut it too soon, well, you lose health benefits, all sorts of possibilities. And all right, this foray into basic medical information (laughs) might seem out of place for a Sunday morning. Stick with me. There's actually a very tight correlation to this with the birth of the church. Since Pentecost, the church has lived connected to the nation and people of Israel. In a very real sense, the womb in which it developed, in which it was conceived, and from where it was born. The church met in the temple. Uh, They participated in all the Jewish practices, sacrifices, prayers, ritual cleansings. Indeed, it appears they thought of themselves as an extension of Judaism. Everybody in Israel is going to be saved, right? This is the natural consummation of God's plan for Israel, right? So they stayed in Jerusalem, worshipped with the Jews, indeed saw themselves as Israel. But this was not the plan of God. And it took the teaching and martyrdom of Stephen to separate the church from Israel and to separate the church from Jerusalem to finish the birthing process. This is the moment the cord was cut. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Paul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. At the murder of Stephen, the church's relationship with Israel is viciously severed. And its members, at least the Hellenist members, must flee Jerusalem. Today we'll examine people on both sides of the cut. Those who were willing to murder to preserve their culture and those who were willing to die to present Christ. We'll start with the nature of those who oppose Christ. And first, the priests. And when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. (laughs) What a picture. Can't you just see them? 
these rulers of Israel believed they knew the truth. In fact, they saw themselves as the keepers of the truth, particularly since it benefited them. When Stephen told them in story and direct accusation that they were not the keepers of truth and in fact had shown themselves to be opposers of truth, they could barely contain their anger. They did, you notice, control themselves, but just barely and just for a while. They wanted to appear to be in control. Most people want to look good, even if they aren't willing to actually be good. (laughs) But the basic truth is this. People get really mad at us when we accost them with truth like, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Try to say that to somebody next time they say, I just follow my heart. Well, (laughs) nobody really wants to face the fact that they are the problem. I know, sure, they'll complain about all the evil in the world. How can there be a good God if all these bad things happen? But to admit that they are the problem in the world? Well, if you really want to see some steam come out of their ears, just quote this. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. That'll make them red in the face. But usually, even if they bluster a good amount, they control themselves enough not to get violent. Still, eventually, something will get them angry enough. They will no longer be able to keep up the facade of self-control. And these Jews were not able to maintain decorum once Stephen shared the vision he saw. But they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. How? What is it in this vision that drove them to such violent behavior? We'd better start by looking at the vision. But he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. i got to tell you, almost everything about Stephen is amazing. That Stephen saw a vision of heaven is incredible enough. But many prophets before had seen such things. And the people standing in front of Stephen, they didn't necessarily believe he was seeing a vision. So it has to be what he said about his vision that so agitated them, like son of man. Who's that? These are Jews, remember, so it has to be something from the Old Testament. And all of them knew the prophecy of Daniel. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Pretty much everyone recognized that this Son of Man had to be the Messiah. Who else would be given an everlasting dominion that encompassed all the people of the earth? And what was Jesus' favorite name for himself? Uh, Yeah, you guessed it, Son of Man. (laughs) But Stephen included at the right hand of God. What does that mean? Where did that come from? Once again, a very popular Old Testament scripture. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. The entire psalm is fascinating. You should read it. But you can see that this ruler, he has a scepter, is at the place of power next to God. A reminder, the unqualified use of the word God in the New Testament always means God the Father. Always. Lord, all capital letters, 
used only in the Old Testament always means the original Hebrew word was Yahweh, which is the name of God. Since God did not reveal the truth that he is one as to nature, but three as to persons until Jesus came, we can't be sure, but usually when we see Yahweh, the Lord, in the Old Testament, we can assume God the Father. So in this amazing verse then, God the Father says to another person, who appears also to be God, take the same place of authority that I possess. This person, Jewish scholars all agreed, could only be the Messiah. You might recall that Peter quoted this scripture in his first sermon on Pentecost Sunday. I kind of think Stephen was there, by the way. So since Peter did use it, we know it was important. But why so important? Well, because Jesus quoted it too with the Daniel scripture that Stephen also referenced. And no one, including any of these very priests now standing in front of Stephen, had an answer for Jesus then. But it's at his trial where these scriptures come up again that the priests reveal their complete understanding. They knew and thus condemned themselves. If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. They understood. To call yourself Son of Man, as from Daniel, and say you would be seated at the right hand of God could only mean that you were claiming to be the Son of God, equal to God to say you are God. They understood Jesus' claim, so they condemned him to death. (laughs) And actually, if you believe that no human can also be God, then what they did was understandable, if, if not terribly reasonable. Because then a mere man had claimed to be God. So when Jesus asked the Father from the cross not to hold the sin of executing him against them because they didn't know what they were doing, he meant it. They didn't know he was the Son of God. But what about now? Could they understand now that Jesus is God? These priests knew that Jesus said he would rise from the grave, which would prove he was who he said he was. If Jesus did rise from the grave and ascend to heaven then there really would be no way for them to deny Jesus' claims. I gave you a little pause here. Becky and I just watched a movie called The Case for Christ. It's a story of an atheist whose wife was an atheist and becomes a Christian. (laughs) He's an award-winning journalist, an investigative reporter, who decides to prove Jesus never rose from the dead. He's going to prove it. After months of intense work, and some pretty terrible behavior on his part. He's really rude to his wife. He comes to the conclusion that he can't prove it's not true. And he reaches the decision point. Now what? What do I do? Anyway, it's a great movie. I won't ruin it. And it's got very good acting and actors. Uh, very good music, too. It's just really well put together. And incredibly, it's all true. Not just the case for Christ part that's built during the movie. The story of the couple. It's actually Lee Strobel's story. If you don't know Lee Strobel, he was a very famous reporter in Chicago. And he became a Christian through this this amazing story. Anyway, back to the sermon. So you should watch it. 
So when the priests killed Jesus, they had guards posted at his grave to ensure no one stole the body to fake the resurrection because they knew how important that would be. And then the guards do come with this wild story of seeing angels roll back the stone and when they wake up, finding Jesus gone. What will they do now? They paid the guards to keep quiet. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and at the trial, Jesus said, remember, they'd see him in heaven? All the evidence was clearly before them. And then, after the resurrections, his apostles began to talk just like he did and do miracles just like he did. And vast numbers of people believed Jesus rose from the dead, proving he is the Son of God. More than 500 people came forward to claim they saw him after the resurrection, just as one would expect if it were true. And, to add insult to injury, this Stephan, who was a Hellenist, not a real Hebrew at all, is talking just like Jesus did, doing miracles just like Jesus did, and now seeing a vision of the very thing Jesus said they would see. Think about this for a second. All they had to do was look up. And they would have seen Jesus too. But they didn't look up. They didn't want to know that Jesus is Lord. Think of what it would cost them. They'd have to admit they were wrong. They'd have to admit it to Jesus and in front of all the people. And since they would then believe that Jesus is the one who can save them, they would have to ask for forgiveness. From Jesus for doing what they did. From the people for misleading them. And hardest of all for them, they would have to acknowledge him as Lord, to commit to him as Lord. And this is the worst thing for them. They would no longer be in charge, not of the people, not even of their own lives. And having their own way was more important to them than anything, even the truth. And that's why when Stephen told them about the vision he was seeing, they stopped their ears. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't look up because they didn't want to see it. They didn't want to know the truth. They just wanted to run their own lives. Why would a limited, sinful creature want to run their own life when the infinite, holy creator is willing to do it for them? Keep that in mind. We're going to come back to it. But for the moment, consider this. God will let them. He will let them run their lives the way they want to, eternally. Jesus warned more than anyone else that once you pass the gates of death, you'll never change. You may know people who would rather suffer the consequences of making their own dumb decisions than letting the Holy Spirit guide them. But we need to warn them that this will become an eternal thing if they don't turn to Jesus. Uh, That's enough of that. Let's, Let's go to something encouraging. The nature of those who will live for Christ. And for sure, let's start with Stefan. Last week, we looked at Stefan's speech. Wait, that was two weeks ago, wasn't it? Because last week was Thanksgiving. Two weeks ago, we looked at Stefan's speech. He told them the truth God wanted to hear without regard. God wanted them to hear without regard for what it might cost him. To be a great servant of Jesus Christ, oh, we got to get this point. And this, this might be harder than even dying for him. I'm really serious about that. For some reason, most of us are overwhelmed with waves of terror (laughs) when we try to speak about Jesus. I can tell you 
that the more you learn about him and his word, the more comfortable you'll be, the more confidence you'll have to speak of him. If it ever gets really completely comfortable, I'll let you know, but I'm not there yet anyway. Maybe some people are. That's why there is great benefit in Bible study, you know, private reading and study, group reading and study, listening to an exposition. I care now. All of these will help you gain strength to proclaim Jesus as Lord. And when your confidence grows, God always gives you something more. The something more we see in Stephen's experience is that God gave him a vision. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now this is an extraordinary vision. <laughs> but then Stephen was undergoing an extraordinary ordeal. The vision is so vibrant that it seems he momentarily forgets the situation he's in. Have you ever noticed that God gives you more spiritual help when you need it the most? Remember, though, that he was looking up. While they were threatening and yelling, he was looking up. <laughs> Amazing. We often say, keep your eyes on Jesus. But we usually mean it figuratively. <laughs> Not many will see Jesus in the way Stephen did before he returns for his church. But to see a vision at all, to know it in your heart, you have to be focused on God. But Stephen's vision, what is Stephen's vision? Well, first God, the Holy Spirit, let him see the Son standing by the Father. Remember, in New Testament you see God equals Father. God will always reveal himself when we need him. Not visually, as a rule. And remember, Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. So, and it seems it's usually not till we really, really need him that he most clearly shows himself to us. Besides seeing God, Stephen also saw heaven. What exactly heaven is, we don't know. But we know that it would have meant at least a couple things to Stephen. Living with God and living eternally. The tougher the things we go through, the clearer our vision of eternal life with Jesus gets. The Apostle Paul said it so clearly, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We will have eternal life. And the more we learn of him, the more we study his word, the more we fill ourselves with the Spirit, the clearer our vision of eternal life will be. It will become fact to us before we ever possess it. It did for Stephen, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Rocks were flying at him. Why isn't he screaming, help? <laughs> because he knows. He had not yet experienced Jesus' resurrection power, and yet he knew that he could trust the Lord to receive his spirit. These also, by the way, are words like his Lord used. But this time, Jesus wasn't quoting the Old Testament. He was dying on the cross. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. It is finished. Jesus committed his soul to the Father. But Stephen committed his to Jesus, his Lord. And we commit our soul, can commit our souls to Jesus. 
And the closer we get to that day, the more confidence we can have that our souls will rest in Jesus. And yes, yes, we are still sinful, limited people. So our confidence will go up and down. But it's not our confidence that matters. We are not holding our own souls. Our confidence is in Jesus. He holds our souls in his capable hands. Stephen knew that Jesus would bring him safely home, and so he is able to teach one more lesson. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. From Stephen, we can learn to forgive. Once again, Stephen was following his Lord's example, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. You want to be like Jesus? What would Jesus do when men were cruelly killing him? Stephen would go that far to let people see his Lord in him, witness of Jesus. You have to understand, the Greek word meaning witness is martyr. See, Stephen was the ultimate witness, the ultimate martyr. But for Stephen... Was it the priests he was asking the Father to forgive? Because they knew. Or was there perhaps more than one reason Luke noted that those who were stoning Stephen laid down, which could be translated cast, their garments at the feet of Saul? See, embedded in forgiveness is hope. Hope for yourself, of course. But mostly hope for a better future for those you forgive. And that brings us to the third group of people involved in this drama. Saul and the other, as yet, unbelieving Hellenists and the power of God to change people's nature. Listen to this confession. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Sometimes, maybe not terribly often, but sometimes those who hate Christians become Christians. You see, the old man Paul, who wrote to Timothy, was once the young man Saul, who approved of Stephen's murder, the worst of sinners. We need to keep this in mind as we go through all that Paul, then using his Hebrew name Saul, did to the church. He was a true Jewish zealot. Let's look at what we learn of Saul in this story. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. According to Jewish law, the witnesses had to throw the first stones. No one else was allowed to. I'm betting Saul would have loved to be the first one to cast a stone at Stephen, but he wasn't a witness, so he did the next best thing. He watched the garments, very expensive in those days, of those who were throwing the stones. He approved of Stephen's murder. Now, since you're here, I'm going to make a wild guess. 
and say that no one has ever actually tried to kill you. <laughs> we safe here yet? And no one is guilty of accessory to murder with you as the victim, of course. So who do you have to forgive? Stephen could forgive those who are murdering him. Is it really so hard to forgive that person that wronged you? Couldn't you be a witness for Jesus in that little thing? Maybe it's not little, but it's not murder. And Saul gets even worse. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Have you ever heard anyone cheering because something bad happened to you? <laughs> it hurts. Yeah. Stephen could witness the love of Jesus by forgiving Saul. Shouldn't we maybe... Ask the Father not to hold the sins of those who wish us harm, maybe even do harm to us against them. It would be wonderful to think that as soon as Saul heard the witness of Stephen, that he immediately fell to his knees and begged God to forgive him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. After Stephen's death, Saul was still doing what Saul does. <laughs> what sinners do, maybe even to us. Well, okay. We haven't had people come into our house and arrest us for being Christians like those first century Jews, or like the Soviet believers did, or like our brothers and sisters in Christ who live in Muslim countries do today. But why? Why drag them off to prison? <laughs> why do Muslim fathers kill their own children? This, this is unfortunately common for becoming followers of Jesus. Why was Saul so violent to the followers of the way? Because Saul understood what his teacher Gamaliel did not seem to. This new order was incompatible with the old. You can't keep both. Perhaps the people in this world who most violently oppose us are the ones who best understand this truth. No other belief system is compatible with biblical Christianity. The claims are simply too fantastic. Saul believed that Israel, and the temple in particular, was the holy place. Most religions have a place that they want to make holy. But Stephen said there is no holy place except in the hearts of believers. Saul believed that only a certain group of people, Israelis, held the key to worshiping God. Most religions today believe only their group has it right. But Stephen said it doesn't have to do with the people. It has to do with the God who loves them. Saul was sure he knew the person to follow, Moses. Everyone today thinks they know the person to follow. But Stephen said, if it isn't Jesus, what you're doing is worthless. Saul thought he had it right. All his actions were acceptable in his eyes because he knew what was right. You know anyone out there who doesn't want to think on balance, they're okay. I'm okay. But Stephen showed it clearly. None of us is okay. Without Jesus Christ, no person is okay. You are not okay. And people who want to run their own lives don't like to hear that. Why would a limited, sinful creature want to run their own life when the infinite Holy Creator is willing to do it for them? Didn't Saul know doing it his way would end in disaster? Don't people today know that doing it their way will destroy their lives? 
I mean, you want to scream, look around you, look back in history. For millennia, people have been destroying themselves and others, doing what was right in their own eyes, what they wanted for themselves. Why don't they get this? Well, it's the same lie it's always been, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You get to decide what's right and wrong. Don't let God tell you what to think. You can be your own God. Just because He created you and sent His Son to redeem you doesn't mean you should listen to Him. Listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. Why don't people consider the source when they hear these things? For over six millennia, people haven't changed. Everyone wants to do it their way. But God comes in. In Saul's case, he had to knock him to the ground. And Saul came to know the love of Christ. Maybe, just maybe, those people who have been so mean to us will come to Christ. True, they might have to get knocked to the ground. And some good Christian may have to help them out. But what about those priests? Okay, well, not them. They're dead and gone. But what about all the Jews that are left? Is there no hope for Israel? Will we, the church, never again be joined with them in worshiping God? I'm happy to tell you that we will. Well, many of them. The point is that one day the cord that was so violently severed by the people of Israel will be restored. The church in Israel will be connected once again. And this time it will never be severed again. The umbilical cord the church had to Israel is severed. There's one more cord that was cut at Stephen's death. The church was now disconnected from the apostles. Now at first, this seems like a horrible thing. They could no longer be taught directly by those who had learned directly from Jesus. Or could they? All the believers to that point had learned from the scriptures and from the words of Jesus that the apostles had heard. But what were those scriptures? Were they not the words of God given to Moses and the others that the Holy Spirit inspired? And is not Jesus God? Could not what he taught them be turned into new scriptures? A new testament? Of course, that's precisely what happened. Because the church was severed from them, the apostles began the process of writing the new scriptures. And those of that early church became the generation of the New Testament. And all because of Stephen's faith. And so we can read of Stephen's faith on that beautiful picture of Jesus receiving his soul as his body fell asleep. We can read of the man Saul violently accosting the church and then learning that the Father didn't hold his sins against him. We can learn that the nation of Israel and the church will one day be connected, this time forever. Stephen gave his life as a witness, a martyr, for Jesus. He was allowed to give himself for the good of the people of God, the church, which needed to be severed from Israel, in which it was born from Jerusalem where it had its birth, so that they could go everywhere to tell people about Jesus. Stephen gave his life as a witness, even for the Jewish zealots like Saul, who would one day join the church and even for the nation of Israel itself which will one day 
return to their Lord and Savior. There is a cost in cutting the umbilical cord, but there's a greater cost if we do not. We all need to be separated from whatever held us before a new birth. It may not be a little thing. And all that leaves us just one question. What Saul is there in our lives? Who is Saul to us? For whom could we give ourselves away? So that they could cut the umbilical cord that ties them to their past life. Hmm. Father, this is our last look at Stephen and his amazing, amazing witness. The witness finally brought him all the way to death. But death isn't the end. He knew. He knew that Jesus Christ would hold him and bring him through. And his spirit went directly from his body to Jesus Christ. And one day, he will be given a new body, a new glorified body, just like we will. We can all sit around and talk to him about what it was like. What a fun thing that'll be to do. We'll be able to do something else with that new body. We'll be able to praise you glorify you to thank you in a way that's superior to anything we can do now not sure what it all means but I know we can and we will right now we're still here and there are Saul's all around us there are even people with stones probably just figuratively but there are people who would love to smack us (laughs) All because we tell them you're not okay. You need to change. Your life is messed up. I want to hear it. I want to believe they're all right. Help us to have the courage, I guess. You can call it that. Help us to be filled enough with your spirit from all of our Bible study and our prayer and our time together with other believers that we're able to actually talk to them. Oh, it will not probably be terribly comfortable. I'm sure Stefan wasn't comfortable. Help us to to do the job we need to do to let them know the truth, even if it's hard, and to forgive them for the sins that they do to us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.